are diving into this new series. And this series, uh, we've just called it The Cost. We've just called it The Cost. And for the next couple weeks, I want to just talk about the cost and uh, the idea that it, it, there sometimes is an implied cost and sometimes there's a cost we don't recognize to the decisions that we make. And for many of us, when we made a decision to follow Jesus or to have a conversation about, about really pursuing Jesus, no one ever talked with us about a cost. And so if you're here today and you're just checking out church, I'm so glad you're here because we're going to have some honest conversation about this decision that we make when we follow Jesus that many of us have made. And, and, uh, and I, I feel like, and I'm going to be a little careful how I word this, but I want you to catch my heart. Oftentimes, we're so excited about someone being interested in having a conversation about Jesus that we go into sales mode. And we try to sell all the great things about a relationship. And there's a lot of great things about a relationship with Jesus, but we avoid talking about the cost. We avoid it. And I just want to have an honest conversation for the next couple weeks about this cost that was, that was part of the decision that we made when we made a decision to start a relationship with Jesus. What is a cost? When it's a noun, it means a price paid. When it's a verb, it means a sacrifice. And there is a cost when we made a decision to follow Jesus. And it is a part of the whole package of what we do. And we should talk about this. And we should start by just recognizing that there was a cost that was paid for you and I when the scripture says that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life, that he paid a price for us and assigned value to us. And so God went first on this relational thing that we do and paid a price and paid a cost. And if we don't recognize that, it could be a little bit tricky to get, well, what would we do this then for? And the Bible says we're not our own. We were bought at a price. But in the book of Luke, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 9. If you got your Bibles, you can get over there. I'm going to start at verse 23, but then I'm going to jump into the 50s. It says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, there's a want to factor here that I think is important. He says, if you want that. If you want to be, and a disciple is just a fancy word for a follower. Someone who's like a teacher. He says, anyone who wants to be a follower. If there's a, if there's a want to in you and you say, yeah, this is a thing that I want. He says, well, then they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, this is a power statement of Jesus. Why? Because take up your cross daily does not mean like jewelry. Right? For some of us, the cost is, well, I put my, I put my cross on. The cost, daily, I put it on every day. The folks in this culture understood that the cross meant a death sentence. Because we have kind of uh, adapted the cross as this symbol of faith, we don't think about it. But imagine if he had said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny themselves daily, pick up an electric chair and follow me. That would have the kind of impact of Jesus's words. He's saying there is a cost. There is a part of this journey that you're on with me that you're gonna walk through. And if you wanna follow me, you're invited. Remember, we've talked a lot. Everyone was invited to follow. Charlie, you can follow. 
You can follow, you can follow, you guys wanna follow, you wanna follow. Whatever your background, wherever you're at, his first invitation was come and follow me. Everyone was invited to follow. There was no preset condition of what it would take to follow Jesus. Wherever you're at, whatever your background, whatever you've believed up until this point, however you felt up until this point, Jesus' invitation is to meet you right here in that spot and say, come, take a step towards me, follow me. And he welcomes everyone into that. But then he clarifies and he says, but if you wanna be like me, if you want to pursue this journey with me and become more and more like me, there's going to be some price. There's going to be some behaviors that have to change. There's going to be some change that comes with that process. And some of you are like, oh man, I should have skipped today. This one's going to be hard. This is just going to be Jesus's words. So I was funny. I was thinking about things that have hidden and surprised costs and sometimes we know they're going to have costs, and sometimes it's implied, but we don't think about the consequences of it. And I was remembering going to college. I was 18. I was a sophomore in college, and there was a class that was at 7.30 in the morning. Everyone say, what? 7.30 in the morning? Are you kidding me? 7.30 in the morning, Western civilization. What a boring class to put at 7.30 in the morning. And I remember going to this class thinking, I'm not ever coming to this class again. I got the material. I got the books. I took the test. I had an A minus in the class. But guess what happened? There was an attendance policy. And if you missed more than five, you failed the class no matter what your grade was. Guess who has two thumbs and missed more than five times? So I had an A minus in this class as so I go in to talk to the professor. I'm like, dude, I got an A minus in this class. If you got to dock my grade, just dock my grade. Don't fail me. He's like, you understood there was a policy, right? I was like, yeah, F. He said it in Spanish, F A. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. Next year comes around. I still got to replace this class, so I take it again. Now I'm paying for this class a second time. I'm committed. I'm like, I'm going to go. For about, I don't know, three weeks I went. I was like, oh my goodness, it's even more boring now that I've already taken it. I'm not going to this class again. So I didn't go to the class again. Guess who had a passing grade, not an A this time, had a passing grade at the end of the term, but too many absences. This guy. So I went and talked to the professor again. I was like, dude, I can't come to this class anymore. It's so boring. But I've passed it. I've learned the material. He's like, that's great. F it. Second time, I got an F. Third time. I was like, is there any way to take this class without actually coming to this class? <laughs> he said, yes, you can just buy the class correspondence and take it. Pass the class. Three times I took the class. Now listen, as an 18, going on a 19-year-old kid, whatever, right? And suddenly, the cost started coming in. And paying for a class and not going to the class. And my 18-year-old brain didn't make sense. My 39-year-old brain wants to choke that kid. <laughs> right? <laughs> but my 18-year-old brain and my 19-year-old brain didn't care less. Why? Because the idea of a cost didn't mean anything to me yet. It wasn't processing that there was an actual genuine cost. For the record, January of this year, I finished paying for that class. <laughs> yes, that is not a made-up or fabricated thing. Ah, <sighs> Jesus. I remember 
when I made a decision to follow Jesus, no one talked about any cost. No one talked about any cost. As a matter of fact, my decision to follow Jesus was predicated on a reality that, that changed my whole life, that I had a father in heaven who loved me. Having lived a whole life not experiencing that, understanding that that was what was intended for me and that I was not a mistake. There was choice and will behind my creation, that there was a plan and a hope for me. All of those things were incredible and exciting and they lit up my soul and I was all in and there was no idea of a cost connected to that at all. There was no price I wouldn't have paid. But suddenly I got back into the real world and there was a cost. Some of my friendship circles had to change. The first time a coach said, hey, you've got practice on Wednesday night when youth group's gonna happen, and if you miss, you're gonna ride the bench. There was a cost. The first time one of my friends gave me a nickname like <clears throat> Church Muffin. I don't know how, if, if you resonate with this. Gentlemen, Muffin is not a nickname that we're gonna ride with, okay? Someone calls you a muffin, that's fighting words under any circumstance, let alone a church muffin. But I remember some of my friends, oh, he can't come out with us, he's a church muffin. And there was a cost. And I had to make the decision, can church muffin give guys black eyes? Like, what's, what's the rule? I'm looking through the scripture. I'm like, I never read this book before. Where do we fight? When do we punch guys, right? I'm getting frustrated. Because there was a cost. What I read this morning, being a peacemaker, there's a cost. Standing up and, and, uh, and, and, and believing in righteousness, even when people who say they're on your team are acting in a way that's not righteous, there's a cost. When people persecute you and say things against you because you stand up, you stood up for Jesus, Jesus says, listen, you're going to be blessed when that happens, but there's a cost. And I think sometimes, again, we're so excited to tell people about how much God loves them, and it's true. And we're so excited to demonstrate for them the promises and the life that come with God's heart for us, and that's all true. But we wait till pretty far in the journey to realize, oh, wait, well, we, didn't, we didn't tell you? Sorry, we forgot to mention that there's some cost involved. You might have to say no to some things you used to say yes to. You might have to stand out and you might look a little different to some folks and they may, may take shots at you because of that. You may have to realign the way you do some of your relationships, the way you manage your resources, the way your, your heart is towards different things. You're gonna have to evaluate that. And you're gonna have to allow God to speak to some of those things. Some of that stuff you've been doing in the secret is gonna get shouted from the rooftops. So you may want to deal with that. See, there's a cost. Some of you are feeling tense right now. If I just stop talking right now, you'd be like, whew, that was enough for me. But so you know it's not my words, it's the words of Jesus. You can jump uh, a little ahead in Luke, starting around verse uh, 51 of chapter 9. And Jesus is on the scene. And, and the book of Luke is one of my favorite books because Luke was a historian. Luke was a medical doctor. He was an educated person, but he wasn't actually there walking around with Jesus. Luke got saved after Pentecost and, and, and worked under Paul's ministry. And Luke had an assignment to go interview witnesses. 
and put together an accurate account. And he was very concerned with accuracy. So he interviewed witness after witness. And we believe he talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he talked to the disciples and he talked to people in towns and he traveled and he said, I need to hear the story. And I got to hear things that are confirmed. And I got to get an accurate historical account of the life of this man, Jesus. And so Luke went and pursued all of these things and then he wrote in a way that was, was to the facts. And he wrote in a way that was clear to people who already didn't have a Jewish background that included every background. And so here's Luke writing and it's powerful. And for the first nine chapters, he's the opening story of Jesus and his miracles and who he is and the calling of the disciples. And right here at about Luke chapter nine, verse 51, everything pivots and Jesus starts making his way towards Jerusalem and the cross. And the next, all the rest of the book is all this journey that Jesus is on in the last month or so of his life. And Luke 9, 51 is where everything changes and pivots. It's a pivot point. Ever experience a pivot point? Everything from here is moving in this direction. There's this sense of urgency. Jesus begins leaning into this teaching. He's gathered crowds, crowds have dispersed. He's gathered disciples, some have left. Uh, he's gathered followers and some are stuck. And, and in this pivot point, as he starts moving towards Jerusalem, the tone changes a little bit and he starts clarifying, like I'm not always gonna be here in the flesh this way. And so if you're gonna carry on following me after this, there's some things you're gonna have to understand. And this changes the tone of the teaching right about here. And he moves towards Jerusalem. And the first thing he does is he runs into a town in Samaria in Luke chapter 9, verse 52. And it says, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now, this is fascinating. Just the historical implications, the racial implications, the cultural implications of him doing this. You see, you got to understand something about Jesus first off. He was rolling about a hundred deep at this point at all times. There's 12 disciples. There's another 70 that are in the crowd that are following him basically everywhere he goes. So there's 80 something people just right there. And then there's some women and children and whoever else just happens to be following him at any point. Now at this time in history, there's a lot of small villages. Like some of these villages might just be dozens of people. Maybe two, three, four families, right? And so Jesus is moving and there's a caravan of usually about a hundred people. Even now, sometimes there's thousands and we see that, but, but generally there's a hundred or hundreds of people. And so if a hundred or hundreds of people are all moving into a town unannounced, they're going to consume every resource of this little small village. Do you recognize what's happening there? It's kind of like if we all went to Eatonville at once. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. They got running water in Eatonville, right? <laughs> Ooh, that was a murmur. That wasn't even a scent. That was defensiveness over here. I like that. That's awesome. Anyways, Jesus is going through these small towns, these small villages from place to place, and, and his entourage is large and the crew is large. So it's normal for him to send a messenger ahead to kind of scope out the village that they're coming to and essentially say, hey, Jesus is coming through. The teacher is coming. He's going to be headed this way and he's moving through this area to go to here. You know, there, I understand that there's no Hilton, but can you handle some people? 
Now, the fact that he stops at the Samaritan town is fascinating. Because we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan, from the story of the woman at the well, we know that the Samaritans were a different culture than the Jews. And Jesus is predominantly right now encircled by this hundreds of, hundred of people. They're all of Jewish descent and background. And the Samaritans and the Jews don't get along. Culturally, the Samaritans were a fascinating culture. They had Jewish descent and background, but they had intermarried and intermixed with the, with the local communities. And they had taken a form of the Jewish faith and kind of modified it and merged it. And, and, and it had some reflection of what the Jews believed, but it wasn't the same. They had built their own temple and kind of established their own way of worship in their own places. But they had some ancestors that they pointed to uh, uh, that where there was intersection. And essentially what was going on at this time, the Jews hated these people. Because they said, you kind of, you've culturally uh, uh, stolen some of the elements of our faith and, uh, and modified it in a way that isn't accurate or true. And, and we just don't even know what to do with you. So basically what they did is they just walked around all of their villages. They're just like, we just don't want to even touch the ground where you guys are. This is why the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan is such a powerful story because this is someone who they would have walked around walking towards somebody in need. So Jesus is coming to this town and contrary to cultural uh, uh, expectation, his plan is not to walk around them. His plan is to walk to them and to be with them. His plan is to walk through the, the, the religiousness and the diversity and the things that, that separated them and to walk right into the heart of that. That's his plan. So he sends some messengers on ahead, even just demonstrating the etiquette to a town like that of sending messengers on ahead to make sure it's okay for us to come is a class act move from Jesus. So he does that. Verse 53 says, but the people there didn't welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. I want you to catch this. They said, oh, if you were coming here to hang with us, that would be awesome. If you were coming here to affirm us, that would be great. If you were coming here to legitimize us, that would be great. But you're coming here as a step of going there. We don't want any piece of that. Why is that powerful? What's the impact of that? Let's mind that out just a moment here. Because here's the thing, and we know this is true. We all want Jesus on our team and to align with whatever tribe we decide we want to align with. Everyone wants Jesus on their team, right? It doesn't matter what background you're from, you want Jesus on your team. Every faith out there is like, we want Jesus on our team. Whatever we believe about him, you know, we want him on our team. Every political group wants Jesus on their team. He's a good ally on your team. Let's bring him on the team. Everyone's always trying to bring Jesus onto their team. But Jesus is like, I am headed towards the Father. Everyone has to get on my team. Last week, we talked about uh, uh, Jericho, Joshua and Jericho. And there's this profound moment right before the story of Jericho in chapter five of Joshua at the very end. And Joshua encounters Jesus in the Old Testament and he's armed and he's ready for battle and he's out front of the city of Jericho. And Joshua's like, sweet, are you here to be on our team? And, and Jesus is like, you don't understand how this team thing works. It's not me going to you and being on your team. It's you making a decision to align with me. That's how this thing works. Yet we constantly want to draw Jesus into our team. That's why, that's why we get so divided in all these arguments. Everyone's quoting Jesus. Because we're all trying to place Jesus on our team. 
And Jesus is like, I'm on the Father's team. I have the Father's heart, and you can align with me, and you're welcome to come and follow me, but I'm not going to just legitimize your team. So they don't want him there because he's not there to legitimize their team. He's, he's there to, to be with them, to, to legitimize them as people, but he's moving on towards Jerusalem, and he's about the Father's business. So they say, thanks, but hard pass. So the disciples come back, and they're ticked. And I love this, verse 54. It says, when the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Did you know that was in the Bible? Do you want us to just go ahead and call down fire? Fire! And destroy them. Now, first of all, I love the swagger that's in this for just a moment. Because they, they don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you want to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? They're like, no, 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 no. Please, I got this one, God. I got this one. These guys rejected you. They didn't accept you. You said you'd come and sit with them and be with them. And they were like, thanks, but no thanks. Do you want the fire? They're fired up. And you would think that that was a good reaction, except for Jesus did not think that was a good reaction. Verse 54, I'm sorry, verse 55. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He didn't even rebuke the Samaritans who didn't want him. He rebuked the followers of Jesus who were spitting fire. Church, that should hit. You should feel that a little bit because I feel that. He did not rebuke the people who did not have an accurate picture of who he was. He rebuked the people who were on his team who wanted to treat the people who didn't have an accurate picture of who he was with contempt, who wanted to spit fire. That's who got rebuked in the story. There's a problem when the followers of Jesus do this. Sometimes we go online and we spit fire. You don't agree with me? Fire! Jesus is like, nah, man. Put your protest thing away. That's not how you represent me. It's not how we do this. We're just gonna move on. Look at this. He and his disciples went to another village. We're just gonna move on. Not everyone's gonna agree and we don't have to go in and spit fire. We're just gonna move on. I believe in my heart that Jesus knew, hey, the time was coming when the Samaritans were gonna get a full gospel presentation. And he wasn't worried because he was seeing outside of time that that was gonna happen. And so he didn't feel the pressure of doing it in that moment. And fire wasn't gonna get them there. Remember, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and change and how kind he was to them when, when, when the followers of Jesus were like, we're gonna thrash these guys. And he's like, nah, that's not my heart at all. So in terms of cost, let me give you one cost. I'm gonna give you four costs before we're done. But the first cost I want you to pick up was that you gotta have the same heart as Jesus. Now that's a cost for some of us. That's a cost for us. You know, there's a funny comedian right now, Christian community, and he's a comedian, and he's always like, check your heart. I think John Christ or whatever his name is. He's like, check your heart. Check your heart, check your heart. But he's right. We are called to check our hearts. And when the thing that's in us wants to destroy something in someone else, God's like, check your heart. Is that your assignment? You've been traveling with me all this time and you think that's what I'm about? You think my mission is to go into this town because they don't agree with where I'm headed and what I'm doing and destroy them? 
We're just going to move on. We're going to move on. Don't worry about them. I care enough about them and you. I got this. Don't try to take that job. You're not assigned that job. Having the same heart as Jesus. There were two groups of people he didn't agree with Jesus in there who didn't have the hearts of Jesus. The Samaritans, they didn't have his heart. They didn't want to, they wanted to convince him to think differently. And he was like, no, I'm not here to try to justify your different rationale. I'm here to authentically follow Jesus. And then there were religious folks. You know, it's funny throughout the scripture, self-righteous people of Jesus never get along. They just don't ever get along, ever. It always concerns me in, in, in the scriptures when I'm reading this. If you think that the self-righteous were on team Jesus, you have not read this at all. Because it concerns me. Every time I read this, I'm like, I kind of am, I'm more like the guy that Jesus didn't like sometimes than I'm like the guy that Jesus hung out with. And it bothers me and it concerns me and I have to catch myself and check my heart. Cost number one was having the same heart as Jesus. Being kind to those that disagree, trusting that God is in control and ultimately staying on mission. Sometimes it's hard to be kind to someone who disagrees with you on little things. Little things. You know the problem with disagreeing with me? Is I'm right. At least I think I'm right. And if I'm right, then you shouldn't disagree with me. You should just hear what I'm saying and change your mind. It's hard sometimes when we disagree. And Jesus is like, we're just going to be kind when we disagree with people. We're not going to spit fire. That's not our, that's not our starting point. Don't go there. If, if someone disagreeing with you flips a switch and fire comes out, that's not the heart of Jesus. It's just not. He's like, we can move on from here. We'll be all right. The only people that got rebuked in the story were the, were the fire spewers. Just saying. That hurts a little bit. I feel it. Receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 57. They're on the road now. They're headed towards Jerusalem. They didn't stay in the village. And it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Baller status in the scripture. That's awesome. That's a phrase we all want to say. Come on, church. I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I'm in. I'll follow wherever you go, wherever you want to go. I'm in. I love this. He's going to have three interactions here. And this is the first guy. He says, I follow you wherever you go. And, and I, I, I want to just press on this a little bit because I think for a lot of us, we start from this position because we, we have this encounter with Jesus and it's incredible. And we're like, yes, God, I'm in. I'll follow you wherever you go. But we've never really considered what that means. We started by saying, deny yourself daily. Take up your cross, your instrument of your death and follow me. But then we're like, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But we've never weighed what that means. That's why I think it's, it's amazing how Jesus replies. Verse 58, he says, uh, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Let's understand what just happened here. Some accounts tell us that this man was a scribe. That means he would have come from somewhat of a wealthy background, a comfortable background at least. He would have at least been middle to upper middle class with his education. He's coming to Jesus saying, you know, I'll be a disciple, a follower. I'm going to go wherever you go, I'm going to go. Remember verse 51, he pivots. Everything's headed to Jerusalem now. Everything in the story is about Jesus understanding, I'm going to the cross. 
I'm going to pay the price for the whole world. They're going to beat me. They're going to hang me from this cross. They're going to kill me. I'm going to conquer the grave. But that's what's going to happen here, okay? Everything is in this narrative. And this scribe, this this probably relatively young uh, uh, leader, because he hadn't been assigned to follow someone else yet, says, you're the teacher I'm going to follow. I'll go with you anywhere. Ah, It's awesome. And Jesus looks at him and he goes, have you looked around? I know we're running 80, 100 deep, but do you recognize there's nowhere to sleep tonight? We're sleeping on the floor. Do you realize that, that you're agreeing to follow a homeless guy who's gonna be murdered and betrayed by his friends? Do you understand that that's who I am? Have you considered that in your evaluation of I'll follow you anywhere? If this goes to the cross, are you in? What an interesting way to respond to someone with a great heart. I'll follow you anywhere. Okay, you'll follow me anywhere. You look around because this this fox running around here, he's got a more comfortable sleeping spot than I do tonight. Those birds, they have a home that's been prepped for them. God's taking care of them, but we're sleeping on the floor tonight. Have you considered that that's part of what's happening here? Have you realized that the cost that you may spend is that you may be a little uncomfortable? Cost number two. You might get a little uncomfortable. So I get saved at summer camp. I have this encounter with Jesus. I'm reading a children's Bible. It's just whatever. I'm actually, it's, can I just say something that's amazing? Donald, Donald does a lot of our graphic things and he, uh, he, he didn't do this because I said anything about doing this with the goldfish. But I literally gave my heart to Jesus sitting in front of a goldfish pond at summer camp. And the reason that that was meaningful is I refused to go to summer camp when I was a kid because I thought they made you eat goldfish because I heard a story, right? I heard a story about eating goldfish and I'm like, nah, I am not an eat a goldfish kid, so I'm not going to summer camp. And I finally went to summer camp. I heard the gospel and I gave my heart to Jesus. I, I was ditching where I was supposed to be and I was walking and I walked by this goldfish pond. And I'm like, God, you just okay, you got me. You get, that's a good one, right? And I stopped right there and I said, God, if you're real, I'll do anything. I'll follow you wherever you go. And then suddenly there was this sinking pit of my feeling in my stomach. And I was like, oh God, please don't send me to Iowa though. <laughs> Why would you say that? Because I know our church movement has a big connections in Iowa. And so I'm not anti-Iowa, but in my California head and heart, Iowa was like a barren wasteland where things just didn't happen. And, and, uh, and so in my, in my seventh grade mind, I was like, that was the worst. Like I'd, even, I'd go to Africa before I'd go to Iowa, God. Like just don't do that to me, right? And, and I had this immediate, the moment I said I'll go anywhere, I immediately had a list of places I didn't want to go. Isn't that true? God, I'll follow you anywhere as long as my check accounts, checking account stays at a certain balance. I'll follow you anywhere as long as my kids turn out a certain way. I'll follow you anywhere as long as you don't ask me to go talk to the person that I can't stand because you know. This guy walks up and says, hey, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus goes, really? Have you ever spent the night on the floor? You're coming from a pretty good background. Do you realize that this might get a little uncomfortable? From time to time, it might call you to a place that stretches you outside of the boundaries of your comfortability. I think sometimes we forget that the Jesus of the Bible that we follow was homeless, penniless, 
dependent on hospitality from others, serving others from a position of weakness. Although he had all authority and power, he made himself a nothing, taking the very appearance of a slave. Do we remember that that's the Jesus that we follow? He wasn't, <laughs> I have to be careful. I want to make fun of some of the pictures of Jesus that we have in our head, but I won't do it. If following Jesus has to be comfortable for you, you're going to quit. Jesus recognizes that. If it has to be comfortable for you, you're going to quit. And that's what he's pushing on. He's saying, make a decision right now. Because if you have to be comfortable the whole way through, you're going to tap out. Verse 59. He said to another man, hey, follow me. This is awesome. He's like, follow me. Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. He said to another man, hey, come and follow me. And he goes, but Lord, first. But first, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Now, the next two guys he interacts with, these stories are going to have some, we're missing some context. All right. Apparently, Luke didn't get all the details, all the context. So without some of the context, it's going to be hard. We're going to have to extrapolate a little bit. So, so I'm going to just be honest with you. I did a lot of research, and for hundreds, if not thousands of years, people disagree. Because we don't know the full story behind this guy. We don't know who this guy likely was. Um, he says, he says Jesus' invitation is, okay, come. You got this. Come follow me. And he's like, ah, but first I got to go and bury my father. Now, that seems like a noble thing. I mean, certainly the scriptures tell us and that even the Ten Commandments honor your father and your mother. Certainly that would be an important thing. But look at Jesus' response to him. Jesus said, verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wait, what? So Jesus, I read this book and it says I got to honor my mother and father. And so I came to you and you said, follow me. And I'm like, sweet, but first let me go and bury my, my father. And you're like, no. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury their own dead. What in the world is going on here? Here's my best understanding of what this is. The reality is, if this guy's dad had currently been dead, if he was already dead, this guy wouldn't be here. He'd be with his parents, with his family, where they're at, right? In the Jewish circle and control. Like, as a son, he would already be there. The mourning process, there's about a year-long mourning process that goes on. He would already be in that process if his father was dead, what is most likely is his father was old and close to dead. Here's why that's significant. Because all wealth was passed down generationally through the sons. And so if he says, God, I'll follow you, but first we got to go and bury my dad. There's at least a year, come on now, of mourning that's going to happen and however much time till dad passes. Do you see the tension now? Jesus knows he's on an appointment schedule to get something done in Jerusalem. And he says, hey, oh, you're invited. Come and follow me. And the guy's like, listen, I got a few things I got to knock off the list first. Dad hasn't died yet. And, uh, and I got to bury him. My inheritance is connected to that. So my, my income future is going to be connected to that. All these other things got to fall into line right now. And once they do, I'm in 100%. You know how many conversations I've had with people that went something along these lines? I know I'm called by God to do this, but first 
I got to finish this class. I got to get this promotion. We're in the middle of this season right now. But first, I got to wait for this thing to happen. And the moment that that happens, God, I'm in. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works at all. You go and proclaim. Do the thing I've called you to do. And then I love this. You let the dead bury their own dead. He says, you let the people who are, who are spiritually not on that mission take care of those details. But you're on a mission, and you stay on mission. Verse 61, the same lane, he says, still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This again sounds like a reasonable request. I'm in, Jesus, but let me go check out with my family first. And we don't have a backstory here to, to make this make sense, but Jesus' uh, response puts it in context. Verse 62, he says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this doesn't make sense unless you understand some farming principles. If you're plowing, you gotta plow in straight lines, right? And you gotta make a straight line, and then you gotta turn around. It's just like mowing the lawn, right? So this is some of us non-farmers have at least mowed a lawn, right? You got to go back and kind of mow a straight line along the same thing, right? So if you try to mow the lawn, but you're looking this way, you're going to be all over the place, right? And then you're going to get to the end, you're going to look back, and you're like, oh, that was a disaster. And then you go back, and you're looking this way. Let's make it a little more dangerous. Imagine you're trying to drive a car now. Because a plow was like the biggest heavy machinery they had. Sometimes it was hooked to an oxen, right? And he's like, you can't sit on the back of this plow hooked to an oxen and just be like looking like this. You're going to wreck. Try to drive your car home today looking and over your shoulder the whole time. Don't do that. I'm teasing. Get a visual picture of that. And you understand what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, you're called to move forward. It's the next season of your life. The next thing I've called you into. The plan is now. The time is now. But you're still looking back at woulda, coulda, shouldas. And you want to take care of all those things first. That's not how this works. I got to be honest with you. I've been doing this for a while now. I heard a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda people. I've been trying to follow Jesus, but this thing just didn't work out. And this one relationship blew up and I never kind of recovered or this moment and this thing I was going to do. And you know what? I would have followed Jesus. If I would have just bought some Google stock back then, then I would be following Jesus today. And I would have just, you know, I could have, would have, should have. And people living in the past to be trying to move forward with Jesus. He's like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You've got to make a decision and then you've got to move forward. If the stuff in your past is more important than where you're going, Jesus is saying you're going to wreck where you're going. If you're hung up because of something in your past, it's not letting you move forward. If, if that thing keeps coming to the front, eventually, it's like when I learned how to drive, the, the, the driver instructor, I don't remember very much, but I remember him telling me, you're just gonna go wherever your eyes go. So keep your eyes on the road. Right? Because if you're staring over here, you're gonna go like this. Eventually, you're just gonna go wherever your eyes go. And Jesus is saying the same principle. You're going to go wherever your eyes go. So keep your eyes forward on where your destiny is and where the plan and purpose for your life is. If you are um, a note taker, I'm going to give you a fun note right here that you can take this and you'll never forget this moment in church. This is something that I know would be safe in the youth group world, but I'm not sure if it's safe on Sunday world. But let me put cost three up there. Cost number three, you cannot follow Jesus but first. 
You cannot follow Jesus but first. Back-to-back relational encounters with these men, and they have the same response to Jesus, but first. I want to follow you, Jesus, but first. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't work that way. You cannot follow me, but first. If you want to follow me, then I have to be first. And I got to be honest with you. I have seen this happen time and time again. And you know this, person after person are saying, I'm pretty good with Jesus. Is there any way I can slide Jesus in like second, third, or fourth position in my life? Is there any way I can slide him in? Like, these are the things that are most important, but I like Jesus and I want to slide him in. Can he fit in somewhere after my career? Can he fit in somewhere after my, my finish my education? Can he fit in somewhere after this relationship that's really important to me right now? How can I, is there any way to make this work, Pastor Mike, where I can follow Jesus, but just not first? Because the first most important thing, at least in this season of my life, is, and then insert this thing. And Jesus says, man, you can't follow me, but first. For years, I worked with teenagers, and I would hear story after story These kids falling in love with Jesus, understanding their identity in him and saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, but first I got to get on this team. I'm going to follow this Jesus, but first I have to get into this school. I'm going to follow Jesus, but first I have to get and win this girl. I'm going to follow Jesus, but first I got this other extracurricular hobby activity and it takes all my time. I'm going to follow Jesus, but first my friendship circle is really important right now and I can't let my friends down, but first, but first, but first, I want to follow Jesus, but first I'm going to do this. Then we get older and it's, I'm going to follow Jesus, but first I got to get married. I got to make this happen. And so I can't really follow Jesus because if I follow Jesus, then I can't really find the right person because I don't think it'll work out. I got to, it's on me to find the right person. And Jesus might not approve of the person that I'm chasing after right now, since he might not approve of them. I got to put him a little further down the list until I lock in the thing that I want. But first, but first I got to get that job. And yeah, I understand that the job isn't like the right job, but it's a stepping stone to the job that I, and so Jesus, if you would just kind of be okay with me, but first I've got to go do that. But first I just got to get this house, Jesus. I just, you don't understand. So it's going to take a little extra sacrifice right now. So I can't be faithful in the other things that you've called me to. I can't be faithful uh, and put you first because I really, if I don't get the house, if I don't do it, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But first, my kids, they need all my attention right now. It's just a season of my life where I have to focus on my kids first. I can't put you first. And I'm just going to model for them that they're the most important thing in the world right now. So that when they get older, they believe that they're more important than you. Now, but first, Jesus, oh, that was a shot. Sorry, I might have gotten somewhere there. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but, but first, I got to retire. I got to push towards the end. I got to make sure I got enough so that I'm okay. And so I really want to follow you, but I'll do it after I retire. And then I get to my return, and Jesus, I'm going to follow you. But first, I've been waiting to travel, and I've been waiting to, and but first, but first, but first, but first. And Jesus is like, stop. You can spend your whole life trying to follow me, but first. It doesn't work that way. That's not how it goes. We keep trying to find a way to follow Jesus without ever letting him lead. How can you follow if you never let him lead? If you're not even open to being led, you're not even open to having a conversation before you say yes and make a decision to say, God, is this moving me towards where you're planning your destiny for me or is it moving me away from that? But I don't even wanna have that conversation because I just want it. And Jesus is like, listen, I hear you. That's okay, but I just want you to know it doesn't work that way. Doesn't mean I don't love you, I don't care for you, I'm not compassionate for you, but I just want you to know if you're trying to do the work, you can't walk this way and look that way. It doesn't work. 
If you think that something else has to get done before you start, you've missed the whole point. You've missed it. So, let me ask you a question. Again, you're going to remember this, whether you ever come back or not, I don't know. But how's your butt? Which butt is keeping you from following Jesus right now? Which one is keeping you from the thing you know that God's put in your heart that you need to do? How is it? God first, I just got to get... How's your butt? And let me just qualify it and say, do you think Jesus doesn't care about the butts in your life? You think Jesus didn't care about this person's family or this guy's father? Certainly he cared. He was trying to coach that there is an order, that if you put these things in in this order, that his blessing, his provision gets unleashed in your life. And he cares more about those things than you even care about them. He's saying, trust me. Some of you, your big butt is... Ben, I, I, I want to even ask you, Jesus, to, to, to be Lord of my life, but I'm scared of what that might take away from me. Your butt first is I haven't had enough fun yet. Woo! Let me give you some people to talk to and tell you stories about how that goes wrong. You're just like, I, I want to trust you, God, but, but first I got I to gotta make sure you, you agree with my tribe. You're like in Samaria over here going, I, I'll let you in as long as you agree with all the things that I want you to agree with. But first, and some of you are just like, well, I, I, want, I want to trust you, God. I'm going to follow you. I'm, I'm open to that, but, but I got all these things in my past that I got to deal with first. I got these other things that, that were a part of my life before that and some dreams and some, some relational crush thing, all these things. In my, but first, let me go and deal with that. And some of you are in a place where you're like, well, God, I want to I follow you right now, but I just, I, I just got other things that seem more important today. Just today. Give me a couple of days. Let me get a few things knocked out. And Jesus is like, man, that's just not how it works. It's just not how it works. Remember that whole deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? That's what it would take to follow Jesus. Cost number four is just trusting God with your heart. It's personal. It's where you trust God with your heart. Now listen, I know for some of us in the room, we've danced around the idea of trusting God lots of times. And maybe even in an emotional moment responded and either lifted a hand or did something like that. But, but we, never really, we never really had a moment where someone was honest and said, this could be kind of hard at times. It might require some change. It might require allowing God to lead if you're going to follow. It might require a few things of, uh, of your life to, to change. And, to, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you the benefits of following Jesus. I'm just trying to tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the benefit. A relationship with Jesus is the benefit. Understanding that your Father in heaven loves you and has a plan for you is the benefit. All right? There's lots of other promises that are in contained, but his presence is the ultimate promise that's available to you. And so this is no bait and switch conversation. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not telling you you're gonna, your, your checking account's gonna fill up 
If you follow Jesus, your problems are gonna fall away if you follow Jesus. I'm not selling anything except for relationship with a God in heaven who loves you unconditionally. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pass out communion here in just a moment, but before we do, I just think we have to have a, a moment of honesty, just a moment of honesty and clarity. And in order to do that, it is not more spiritual to close your eyes than to keep your eyes open, okay? A lot of churches are like, you gotta close your eyes. It's, more spirit. it's not more spiritual, it's just more private. I never see in the scriptures where it says, then close your eyes and pray. It doesn't, no one closes their eyes and there's a whole Bible that I can see. However, just for a moment of privacy, would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? And if you're here, maybe for you, you have never, ever said, Jesus, I'll follow you. And part of it's been because you felt like there was something inauthentic in the presentation of who Jesus was. Somehow your rational mind said, it doesn't work the way that person's saying it works because there were some promises that were being made that weren't authentic to the, to the scriptures and to the character of Jesus. And this has probably been the least attractive presentation of the gospel I could give, but it's authentic and true because the truth is his relationship, that's the thing. And you would say, you know what? Maybe today, I'm gonna take a step towards Jesus. And I haven't done that before. Would you, no one's looking around, just totally private. But if this is you and you just say, yeah, I need to take a step. I need to, I, what I'm trying right now isn't working. Would you just lift a hand and say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, you can put those hands down. Maybe you're in the room and your whole tension has been, I'm following Jesus, but there's just other things that have crept up. And I didn't even mean it to happen, but they've slipped into the first place. And, and because of that, I, I've been unwilling to be uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. Come on now. I've been unwilling to put the things in my past behind me. I've been distracted by other things. And, and I'm just hearing the voice and the call of Jesus. I got to get my life moving towards Jesus. And it hasn't been moving towards him. I've been hoping he's just been coming with me, but I want to start moving towards him. If that's you, would you just lift a hand so I know I'm in the right room? Yeah. All over this place. You can put those hands down. I'm going to pray. And then the communion elements are going to come around. And communion is this powerful, incredible, amazing moment where Jesus just says, I want to confirm for you the promise that I've made, that I've changed the way to get access and relationship to the Father. When he goes to the cross, he says, I paid the price so that you and the Father can have the kind of relationship that I and the Father have. You have access to him. And communion is just the way we remember that. And so the, the, the team is going to come around after I pray, and they're just going to pass these trays. And I just want you to, to grab a bread and a juice and hold on to it, and we're going to worship, and then I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. We thank you. We need you. We can't be the same. If we're the same as we've always been, we've wasted our time. But we want to move towards you today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you worship and take one of these elements as they come by and just hold on to it? Would you hold the, you got them in your hands, but the bread. Listen, Jesus says this is just something we do when we remember him. We can do it as often as we want. But there were eight hands that went up making a decision today to say, I'm gonna take a first step towards Jesus. And for you, this might be just a moment of saying, this is my first act as a follower of Jesus. That's pretty exciting. For those of us that have been doing this for a long time, sometimes I think we forget the amazing, incredible authenticity 
of what happens when we just say, God, I make a decision to remember the price that was paid for me, to remember that even though you were, you were teaching the whole way there and you were, you were schooling us as we went, you went to Jerusalem for a purpose and you paid a price for me so that I can be forgiven because you so loved the world. You came for me. This was a rescue mission, guys. This is amazing. It's the greatest scandal ever. It was an invasion. It was like, it's like the, the coolest military picture of invasion and snatching someone from the jaws of death. It's awesome. It was for you. And that's what we remember. And so for eight of us in the room, this is an awkward, authentic, transi- transformational moment. And for many of us in the room, this is just a remembrance of taking a step of faith. And Jesus, we say thanks. And we love you. And we're grateful. Would you take and eat that? Amen. And hold the cup. And when you grabbed the cup, you said this was a covenant. It was a promise. And you said it was a new covenant. There was an old covenant, but this was fulfilling that covenant. And this new covenant was about us having relational access to the Father, not needing some kind of go-between. It was about us understanding that you wanted us, you loved us, you cared for us, and that it was personal, and it was pointed, and you recognized just how valuable your creation was, and you wanted us to recognize just how valuable we were in your sight. And there was a new covenant, a new promise. This is who you are, and this is who we are, and you love us. And so when we drink this, God, we remember the price that was paid for us and the promise that was made for us. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, would you drink? Now listen, I'm going to let you go. We're on time. It's amazing. The kids are stomping. That means they're ready for you to pick them up. I'm just going to be honest and frank with you. For eight of you, you should sign up to get baptized in two weeks. That sign-up sheet hopefully is over here in the, uh, on the uh, coffee bar. Just walk by. No one's going to be weird. There's probably hopefully other names on there. Just psh, sign up. Charlie, can you make sure that sign-up sheet is where it's supposed to be? There were many of you who said, I haven't been following Jesus, even though I had been following Jesus. Can I just be uncomfortable? Some of you might need to get baptized. I'm just saying saying, and there's nothing in the scripture that says you get baptized one time. That's all it takes. But if, if there's something in you that just says, you know what? I made a decision at one point, but I didn't live that decision. I need to come back and recalibrate. Maybe you need to get baptized. I'm just saying it's available. I will dunk you indiscriminately. I love you. Thank you, church. Be inspired. Follow Jesus. Take a step. Come back next week. High five someone. If you see someone this week that you love, that's part of the family and they miss, just high five them. Tell them you missed them. God bless you. Have an awesome week in the Lord. Amen.